Well, thank you for that reading, Peyton. And um, we read the uh, two passages as uh, they are parallels and give us a little bit more background to our passage. So the title of the message is Who is Lord of Your Sabbath? We've uh, heard God's word read. We are about to hear God's word explained. And I'd like to pray that God will just reveal himself through his word and the preached word. Father God in heaven, you have spoken these words in the past, but also now to us in the present. Father, there are things here that we really need to know. Where there is confusion, please bring clarity. And Lord, when we understand the text clearly, help us to know how it actually transforms our lives to be a people who understand your will, your purposes for the Sabbath, for rest and restoration. I pray, Lord, that some of the things that might be blockages to the message because of tradition or experiences in the past, that you will help us lay them aside and Holy Spirit speak clearly that we might hear and understand and be transformed by your word and rejoice in what we hear you say. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, um, as a way of introduction, I want to tell you a little story, I guess. Um, My brother Peter, many years ago, uh, bought an old dining room table at an auction. I think we've got a picture here. Uh, He bought an old dining room table at an auction, and the table was pretty ordinary, didn't cost very much. Uh, It had been painted over many times, layer upon layer, And my brother Pete said, I I wonder what's underneath all this paint. And so he gradually scraped it and sanded it until he got to the bare wood. And then he found out that it was an absolutely amazing hue and pine table. And it had become that beautiful golden uh, Tasmanian hue and pine colour when everything was revealed. And I guess... um, you can see that that table, now that it's been revealed for what it should have been, became much more valuable. And that's a bit of an illustration of what was happening in Jesus' day. The beautiful original Sabbath had been painted over by heaps and heaps of man-made rules. And uh, it didn't look anything like the original God intended So in Jesus' day, he's speaking into that situation. And Jesus is going to peel away the man-made layers and expose the original Sabbath for how it was always meant to be. And in the process of this, you see in our text that Jesus makes the bold assertion that he is the Son of Man. And last week... Andy was telling us the Son of Man is a special designation. Something special, it's, it's a title for the Messiah. 
And then Jesus, in this passage, and especially in verse 27, 28, he actually declares that he himself is the Lord or the boss of the Sabbath. Now you can imagine that when someone says they are the Lord of the Sabbath and the son of Pharisees, they already had seen Jesus confronting their world. They saw Jesus display his authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to calm the storm, to drive out demons. And then last week we saw that Jesus had authority to forgive sins. Here is Jesus making himself equal to God. And now Jesus is really upsetting the apple cart by saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are thinking, who does Jesus think he is? This man deserves to die. And so we see in the passage that they're ready to kill him for saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath. So the presenting issue in the text is keeping the Sabbath. That's the presenting issue. But Jesus is going to take away some of those layers and he's going to show what the real issue is, and that is legalism. Legalism is the enemy of the gospel because legalism confuses people about God. Legalism blinds us to the grace of God. Legalism blocks a life giving and grace-living relationship with God. So that's what Jesus is tackling here. And sadly, when legalists uh, think about this, they actually think they're doing the right thing. So today, we'll be peeling back those layers. We want to see what a restored Sabbath actually looks like. And along the way, I guess there may be a few surprises for us. Especially if you have been brought up to think the Sabbath in terms of what you can and what you cannot do. Because some of us have had that tradition. Is it about what you can and what you can't do? So let's look at the first place, the original Sabbath. And we're going to see that it is a gift to be enjoyed and celebrated. So the Sabbath, which is that one day of rest per week, the Sabbath is God-given and it is a divine command. From the beginning, tended to honour God and to benefit people and all creation. Now, if you, if you can get that in your mind, to benefit God, to benefit people, to honour God, if you fast forward to the end of the world when Jesus returns, when the kingdom of God comes in there, the Sabbath is to honour God, to benefit people and all creation. So in our text, in Mark 2 verse 27 you see that that's behind Jesus' words where he says the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man's benefit, not man for the Sabbath. To understand God's intention for the Sabbath. So 
if you're taking notes, this is a, a key thing to remember. The Sabbath's key element is to celebrate God and experience rest from work. Now, God himself gave us that pattern. After six days of creation, the Bible says that God rested from his work. He ceased his work from making creation. And he blessed that seventh day. And the Bible says that he set it apart. He made it holy. He dedicated it to be separated unto God. So here we have one day. That is God's principle. And it's universal. It's for all people because it came before the fall of man. So before sin came into the world, when God had made it like he said it was very good, it was there as a principle. Now, as a little aside, I googled um, you know, this whole idea of, is a week always seven days? And if you go there, I mean, um, Google opens up all these things, but in history... There have been different cultures that have tried to change the week from seven days. The French Revolution tried to make it uh, a different number of days. The Russian Revolution tried to make a different number of days. It didn't work. It doesn't work. This seven-day pattern, one in seven, is by God's design. And if you follow it, God will bless it. If it's a command, you obey. God loves to honour that obedience. So remember this then as a first thing. The Sabbath, this day of rest, one in seven, is a gift to be enjoyed. We thank God who gave us this day. We celebrate what he's done. And so the Bible talks about this through a couple of lenses. The first one I want to look at is uh, through the fourth commandment um, as part of God's Constitution. You could say the Ten Commandments is God's constitution. In Exodus 20, we see that the pattern of God working six days and resting on the seventh day is the motivation for one day in seven rest. In other words, you're following God's pattern. God did this, and so we want to follow him in doing that. So rest from your work is actually a blessed command. The Deuteronomy 5 version has redemption from slavery and God's rescue from bondage in Egypt as the motivation. So this second lens for that day of rest, the Sabbath, is to remember your rescuer. Remember your rescue and celebrate it by resting from your work just as you rest in Christ for your redemption and salvation. So you can see some of the nuances we want to explore about rest. It's not just rest from your labor, it's rest from your work, trying to get merit with God. Now, none of the Ten Commandments have ever been repealed. And they're not God's Ten Suggestions. They're God's Ten Commandments. And like all of the commands, if you follow God's way in obedience, you will also find blessing. So wrapping up that first point, the original Sabbath is a rest patterned by God. 
It was given to us as a gift to be enjoyed and celebrated. Now let's get to the heart of what's happening in our passage in the second place. Jesus confronts Sabbath-keeping religion. The two incidents in our text indicate how far people can stray from God's original pattern and design. According to Deuteronomy 23.25, Israelites may pick kernels of grain from a neighbour's field. Now, picking kernels of grain would be like uh, one of those earlier slides where you're walking through um, the fields and as you walk, you can see a bit of grain that you can pick and then you can have a little rub and then you can get the wheat and then you can eat it. Uh, that was permissible. What you weren't allowed to do is get the sickle and go for yourself. That would be stealing. And what was behind that? It was God's provision for the poor in the Old Testament economic system. So this idea that you are able to have a little bit of grain uh, from the neighbour's field, you are allowed to have a little bit. Uh, it's an emphasis on mercy coming into this whole idea of the Sabbath in our text, mercy and people's well-being. So according to the law, God's law, the disciples actually were doing nothing wrong. So what is it that the Pharisees saw that makes them charge Jesus with saying, your disciples are brought happened in the history of God's people, and it even comes down to us, I think, is that the Jewish religious leaders and scribes and Pharisees added a set of man-made rules to the Bible. In other words, they're trying to make the Bible more clear than God did. That's When you add man-made rules, you're just trying to make it more clear than God makes clear. And so this is what has happened in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees had 39 definitions of work that was not permitted on work, that were not permitted on the Sabbath. And they're charging Jesus that his disciples had broken at least four of those restrictions. First one was reaping. Second one was threshing. Third one was winnowing. Fourth one was preparing food. Now, do you get it? Walking in the grain fields, picking a little bit of grain, doing this, which is called threshing, I suppose, winnowing, and then preparing food, putting it to your mouth. And Jesus, the leader of his disciples, saw it all, let it happen, and this is really bad. So let's drill down into that. Religion is practicing a code of rules that make you think God owes you a favour. I've done this, God should do that for me. Or religion is keeping God off your back. Or it makes you look good before other people. And so it's no surprise that God hates religion. Legalism, which is very closely aligned to this, is to live by a set of rules that are usually man-made. 
And then people are judged by how they live up to those rules. The more rules you keep, the better you think you are. Well, God hates legalism. Drill down into the text. You might ask yourself, what on earth were these Pharisees doing walking behind Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath? Didn't they have anything better to do? Or maybe they walked too far on the Sabbath, checking out on his disciples. You see, that's the trouble with legalists. Breaking their rules. That makes them feel smug and you feel bad. Now, Jesus does not let them get away with this accusation of their breaking the law. Jesus takes two examples from their Old Testament. And the first one is David, who is their hero. He's the one in the the passages that we read, is running away for his life from Saul. Saul wants to kill David. And David and his followers are fleeing away into the desert. And they come across Abiathar the high priest. And they ask him for food. And Abiathar says, I've got no food. The only food that I have is the bread of the presence. Now it's interesting that the bread of the presence symbolizes God's fellowship with man. That's what it symbolizes, but it was only to be eaten by the priests. And David says, give me some of that food. I know it's only for the priests, but we're hungry. And so Abiathar says, what Abiathar and David did, they could eat the bread of the presence because it's mercy that is an attribute of the Lord's day. So David um, eats the bread And we see that in Jesus explaining this, he's saying that God is less rigid in applying the law than the Pharisees were. The second thing, and we see that in the Matthew reading, God's law requires no work on the Sabbath. But Jesus points out that the priests work twice as hard on the Sabbath as any other day. Because of all the offerings, they have to slaughter the animals, they have to do all this extra work. So the Sabbath for them is really hard work. And yet, uh, they are innocent of breaking the Sabbath. So the legalism of the Pharisees is more strict and less caring about people than God is. So the Pharisees accuse Jesus of being a lawbreaker. But you have to go back to this. Hang on, Jesus is the creator. He's actually the law giver. And being that, he is the law's best interpreter. And so we read in Matthew 7.29 that when Jesus was teaching like this, he taught as one who had authority. And as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus has authority to interpret the Sabbath correctly, which he does. And you see what happens with legalism, it blinds them to Jesus, it makes them angry at Jesus, and he's breaking all their rules. And so you see the Pharisees are standing here in front of the Lord of grace, the author of life, and what do they do? They hate him. They hate him enough to kill him. That's what the text says. So let's look at what's wrong with Sabbath-keeping religion. If you think that a relationship with God 
is about keeping a set of man-made rules, I have to tell you that you're wrong. It's not about keeping a set of man-made rules. If we live like that, we give a totally wrong impression to the world. The world already thinks that being a Christian is about keeping all these rules, rules, rules. We don't want to give that wrong impression. We make the same mistake as the Pharisees if we see the Sabbath as a whole list of things that we can do or cannot do. The Bible is not a rule book. It is God's personal revelation revealing a saviour who loves people and wants to rescue a people for God. In our Matthew 11 text, that's why we went to read that passage in Matthew 11, Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus makes God known to us. Jesus makes the way for us to know God relationally, personally and intimately. So if you're here this morning and you have thought that being a Christian is following all sorts of rules, please be on notice that that's not what it's about. It's not about that. And if you are not in a personal living relationship with Jesus, trusting in him rather than what you do to keep God happy, please Think about where you are. Please accept the offer of the Lord Jesus Christ to be in relationship and not be trying to keep to a whole set of rules. And it's only possible to be in relationship with Jesus if you accept the gift of grace to remove our sins and give us access to God. And then we are no longer enemies of God because of our sin but we are friends of God because our sins have been taken away. So Sabbath keeping is about relationship and not about rules. No wonder Matthew, same event, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Part of the weariness and the burden in this effort to please God with rules and regulations. Jesus wants us to rest from that. Give it up and rest in him. You see, the, the souring strict obedience, it was enslaving people. It was putting unrealistic burdens on them. And Jesus would say, that certainly is not rest. So Jesus says, come to me. Be connected to me. So that through me, Jesus says, you'll find rest for your souls. That is a relationship rest of peace with your best friend and saviour. And when Jesus said this, I'm sure that he had Psalm 68, 19 and 20 in his mind, where it says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our saviour, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. So Jesus says, rest in God. So if you drill down into what Jesus said, we're starting to see that Jesus actually is our rest. And if the Sabbath points to Jesus, and if Jesus fulfills the Sabbath, then Jesus actually is our Sabbath. Can you get that? Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our rest. 
So let's see how Jesus kept the Sabbath, because that will help us in knowing how we should keep it. Clearly, Jesus gathered with the people of God to worship in the synagogue. We see that in Mark 3. Again, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there was a man there with a withered hand. So Jesus gathers with a worshipping community. It's not about my individual worship. You can do that, but that's not what it's about. It's about corporate collective worship. That's how Jesus celebrates the Sabbath. And the idea of resting from a normal week's work, one day in seven, is established. And the principle's clear because Jesus actually models it. But Jesus does go a bit further, doesn't he? In our text, we see a quote from Hosea 6, verse 6. Jesus is giving us a deeper insight into the Sabbath, saying, let's understand what God means by celebrating the Sabbath. I And this incident is played out in our passage in chapter 3, where we see the incident of the man with the shriveled, shriveled hand. And it sounds like the legalistic Pharisees had set this man up to try to trap Jesus. Back in Hosea 6, God mourns about the with sacrifices, but their hearts don't acknowledge God. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So can you see what was happening in Hosea's day? God's people were religious. They were very busy keeping rules. Where is the care for those in need? It's the language of divine disappointment. Now you see, it hasn't changed with the Pharisees because they decide that this man with the shriveled hands case is not urgent. They're saying in their heads, there are six days of the week you can be healed. Come back another day. That's what they say. The man doesn't think like that. The man says, look at my hand, it doesn't work. If Jesus can fix it today, that'll be good for me. Why should I wait for tomorrow? And so Jesus, knowing this, as Lord of the Sabbath, and knowing that the Sabbath was made for man's wholeness and well-being and rest and rest, stretch out your hand. They were words of healing. The withered hand suddenly moved. Sabbath restoration had come to him through Jesus. Mercy had been extended. So let's ask the question, who's keeping the Sabbath? Jesus who heals or religious legalists who want to kill him? Who's keeping the Sabbath? Which one? Can you see who it is? It's Jesus, for sure. So what are some implications for us? Well, Sabbath is our Sunday. We follow the New Testament's lead by setting aside one day in seven. And it's called in the New Testament the Lord's Day because it's the Lord's Resurrection Day celebration. So for us, Sunday is our Sabbath. It's a day for celebrating God's relationship with us and our relationship with God. So what we're doing now, worshipping together as part of God's people, 
is a way of observing the Sabbath, a beautiful expression of the Sabbath. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought much about why we have a weekend. Why do we have Saturdays and Sundays off? And again, if you do some research, it'll be interesting to see what you find. This is what I found, and I think it's quite authentic. Our forefathers in England in the 1800s didn't know whether to adopt the Jewish Sabbath as a day off, because many Jews were observing the Saturday as the Sabbath, but many Christians were observing the Sunday as their day off. And so, to avoid trouble, uh, our forefathers said, okay, let's have both days. And nobody seemed to complain. (laughs) Drawing together the principle, how can we observe our Lord's Sabbath? This is where I want to drill down and I'm going to avoid legalism and... I'm going to avoid all this rule-making stuff. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, so we worship him. We can establish that. We get a day off. We are to rest from our labours. We are to enjoy God just as much as we can enjoy work. Enjoy family, enjoy friends, enjoy your neighbours. Practice hospitality. Enjoy community, be an agent of healing. Because Sunday, as a day of rest and Sabbath, Jesus explains clearly there is a place for showing mercy and restoration. And I actually think that's something that we as Christians in the modern era have lost sight of. We've forgotten how deeply ingrained in God is the restoration side of the Sabbath and showing mercy. So if you are tired on the Sabbath, take a nap. Maybe you need to go for a walk. That's all good. Whatever strengthens you, whatever revives you, whatever helps you serve God better and do his work. And the sovereign Lord of the universe has still got his world under control, even if you take a day off. Now, some of you may be living with too many rules about what you can do, what you can't do. Please peel back some of the layers of tradition and practice. Repent, find the Lord's day a delight and not a burden. Celebrate rest in your relationship with God. Others, and I think this is where a lot of us will be, others may have lost the significance of one day a week every other day. Because in our culture, every day starts to look the same. And that is not actually keeping the Sabbath holy or set apart. We need to repent of being a reverse legalist. Because the Sabbath is not about my pleasure. See, It's about advancing God's kingdom. It's about anticipating our eternal rest in Christ. 
So all of us come to Jesus and rest up in him and stop working as if everything depends on you and rest in the finished work of Christ. Rest in his work. He did it all on the cross. You don't have to add anything of your efforts. The only thing you need to do is cling to Jesus and believe in him. Receive Jesus' death for our sin. Receive his righteousness for our rebellion. And ask Jesus. And then by his grace, our Sabbath will be a day of overflowing with thankfulness. We celebrate Jesus and glorify God. Lastly, and short briefly, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus makes that claim after exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Jesus shows what the Sabbath is really all about in four words, rest and restoration, worship and wholeness. If you can get a handle on those four words, you will understand the Sabbath in a much healthier way. Rest and restoration, worship and holiness. And the healing of the man with the shriveled hand confirms that the Sabbath in Jesus' view is about showing mercy, about having our hearts in tune with God who shows mercy. And the Sabbath then becomes an expression of the kingdom of heaven being on this earth among us. In other words, it's like the Sabbath is a weekly taste of heaven. I don't know if you can gravitate towards that. The Sabbath as a weekly taste of heaven. Jesus says all authority has been given by God the Father to Jesus his Son. And Jesus proved his authority and used his authority to heal and restore. As co-creator of the heavens and the earth, he rested with the persons of the Godhead so Jesus is both the Sabbath designer and the original lawgiver and he interprets the law perfectly. So Sabbath rest always celebrates God's finished work. It was given to us to enjoy God, worship God, reflect God in the world. And theologically, Jesus is our rest because he's our salvation Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. You could even say Jesus is your Sabbath. Now the goal of history, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, is rest and restoration. He's outlining the gospel to a New Testament church with a Jewish background and they were tending to revert back to all the Jewish rules and laws. And he says in Hebrews 4... There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God rested from his. So Jesus is our rest. He's my rest. Is he your rest? Now, I've got a, a few little things up on the slide. I know we've already had some prayer time in small groups, but I, I want you to just reflect on that for a moment 
And you might take those words home, uh, think about it over lunch. Uh, you might even take them on board for your life group. But ask the question from this morning's message. Is Jesus Lord of your rescue and your rest? Is he actually boss of your rescue and your rest? And then how does your use of the Lord's Day celebrate God's finished work in Christ? Is the Lord's Day for you busy, busy, busy? Or is it rest? Thirdly, describe how your neighbours, maybe your children, see you celebrate your weekly day of rest. If you asked your neighbours, uh, what do you think um, my Sunday's all about? This, this, this. Um, have a think about that. And then, in the light of those three, does anything need to change? And I guess, for all of us, there might be some need to change a couple of things. Um, as I finish... Um, there's a whole stack of little stories that I have in my head uh, that come up asking heaps of questions about what can I do, what should I do, how do I do it, etc. Um, instead of adding to the sermon or doing a children's talk, I've given them to the leadership for use in the uh, life groups. But there's some anecdotes, things that I've learned from my background, my grandfather, my father, uh, other Christians... And I hope that... Let me pray with you to finish up. I'll let these kids come in and 